0: Whether you're just starting to plan your career path, you're a hard worker seeking greater opportunity, an aspiring entrepreneur, or a business person at the top of your game. Radio 111 presents The Success Doctor, a roadmap to best practices to help you achieve your best professional life with Dr. Stone James. Here's Stone. Welcome to The Success Doctor. I hope you've been well
1: i enjoyed looking forward to uh, talking to you. Had a lot happen since our last discussion. And most notably, I had a, an interesting lunch today with a gentleman, actually a very accomplished gentleman that I've had the pleasure of working with for, well, I've known probably for the last 15 years. And uh, I've had the, the good fortune to work with him more closely over the last four years during my time at Cathedral City. Uh, this gentleman is a Harvard graduate and he has seen of, he's been through a lot. Uh, He is a tenured professional, probably going on his 35th or 40 year uh, in his career. He's worked for a number of organizations, and one of the things he's really passionate about is making the community a better place. And so it was interesting today, when we were talking about the role of character, and specifically he said that there were four things that you must have in your professional life. He identified character, integrity, accountability, and responsibility. And, and in fact, I, I even jotted them down because I thought that they were so important, so seminal. I completely agreed with them. But I really thought that that distilled, that really crystallized the heart of the conversation that we were having at the time And so when we talk about that character, the integrity, the accountability, and the responsibility, I couldn't help but think of some of the different lessons that I've seen over the years and some of the different books that I've read that really stress that. And so we can take, uh, there was was a book that I had come across actually some years ago. In fact, the uh, former deputy chief of police uh, at the Cathedral City Police Department had recommended this book. Uh, It's called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, uh, two incredible men. Uh, They were Navy SEALs and they uh, were operating with uh, dealing with the Battle of Ramadi. And they wrote this book and they've actually started a consulting company called Echelon Front that helps individuals and businesses really deal with leadership issues and integrity issues and character issues and strategy issues. And so this, this book, Extreme Ownership, I've probably listened to four or five times. Really good read. And so I thought, well, based on the, the conversation that I had with this gentleman earlier today, and his, his talk about the character and integrity, and accountability and responsibility, I couldn't help but think of some of the things that they talked about in this book, Extreme Ownership. And so I thought it would be enjoyable to talk a little bit about some of the main characteristics of the book and of the experiences that both this gentleman and I have had over our respective careers. And so, really as the title says, extreme ownership. It was really thought provoking for me. And it was, it caused me to look at my interactions in the business world and also in my personal life completely differently, and that was essentially, there's no excuses, and so you own everything. So I'm not, taking, I'm not talking about taking this to an unhealthy level where you are taking responsibility for other people's actions that you really have no responsibility or duty to take responsibility for. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about any, so, any sort of odd codependency situations. But I am talking about in the work environment or even in the home environment, really owning something. And so if you have a situation where you need to get your coworker buy in or your supportants buy in, and, and they're just not getting it, either they're not buying in or they don't understand a core concept. I think, I think of many people, I don't know if I want to say most people, but I think certainly many people would blame the audience. They're just not getting it. <laughs> I've tried. I just don't know why they're getting it and this is their fault. This is harming the team. This is harming the family. This is harming our work unit. What extreme ownership really called out is the fact that in that situation, it is your duty to help them understand. And to get them on board. While they may or not they may or may not personally agree with it, it's your duty as a team member, as a leader, within the organization or within your family, within your friend circle, to make sure that they do understand the concept or the thinking behind it. It's that total or that extreme ownership where you really take a look at, you scrutinize, how did you contribute to either the success or the failure of a given scenario. And so the more that I have kind of, uh, if you've ever done jujitsu, right, you roll around with your opponent, or you roll around with an idea, and so I often like to think of, you know, how am I grappling with this idea, pushing and pulling of it, to really understand what this means. I've always tried to own things and take responsibility for my actions, and take responsibility if there's a good outcome, and also, if there's a bad outcome. And so, as I have kind of studied this book more and listened to it and absorbed the message, I have done a much better job of really taking a look at what is my role, either in the success or the failure, and what do I need to do differently in order to achieve the goal that has been established or meet the need that exists. And so it's, it's actually kind of a fun idea because it really takes you out of, I don't want to say the victim mindset, but it puts you into a more proactive frame of mind. And so in fact, really kind of you are less of a victim. And so you've got a set of circumstances and how are you going to impact and change the circumstances? And so that's something that has been, it's been profound personally. And I've seen other people who have implemented this leadership principle and the success that they've had. And so they and of course in the book, they've got some pretty interesting uh, scenarios in which they have either both militarily or even in a business application, that's one of the neat things is that they do both Uh, within this book, because I think there's so many lessons to be learned within, uh, you know, the military framework, especially as it relates to military and leadership. And so there's been, you know, most recently and probably the last 15 years, there have been some pretty fantastic books out, uh, whether it be Turn the Ship Around or a book by McChrystal or a book by uh, McRaven. Uh, And in fact, actually, one of them is on my daughter's nightstand and we have read every chapter of the book, and it's something that she and I just really enjoy, but they're really core principles, and the book is called uh, Make Your Bed. And it was actually a book that was written based on a, a speech that uh, uh, this gentleman had given at a graduation ceremony, I think, at uh, University of Texan Austin campus. I think that was uh, where he gave it and people loved it so much, they had them turned it into a book. So it was a phenomenal book, uh, but really had some core principles. So uh, one of the other things that in Extreme Ownership they talked about was there's no bad teams, there's only bad leaders. And they took an example of, they've got these inflatable uh, boats that uh, the Navy SEALs will often have to carry around with them over sand dunes, into the surf, back out of the surf, across the beach. They're very large, they're very awkward, and they're very heavy. And it was interesting, they had this one boat that was finishing last in all of the evolutions. And there's, a, there's always a punishment when you finish last. And it was interesting to hear the perspective of the leaders uh, as they observed the boat crewman and then his, the gentleman on the boat. And, you know, they admonished him. They gave him some suggestions on how to turn it around, and he just couldn't do it. There was a lot of infighting between the boat crews. So what they ended up doing was they ended up pulling the uh, boat crewman from the top-performing boat, and they took the guy from the, the worst-performing boat, and they brought him up, and they had them both stand tall, and what they did was they reversed the rules. So the guy from the worst boat crew now was the uh, captain, so to speak, of the, the top-performing boat. The captain from the top-performing inflatable boat now became the captain for the the worst-performing boat. And the, the gentleman who went from bad to the good team, he really felt vindicated because he felt that he was a good leader and that it was the boat crew of the poor, poorly performing boat that was cause of the failure. They were the cause why the boat was always coming in last. So he thought that that was going to become immediately apparent. Well, a couple of evolutions into it, that worst performing boat crew now started to place certainly in the middle of the pack and occasionally towards the front of the pack. And it, it surprised the authors of the book because they didn't expect to see that profound of a change just by swapping out the leaders. All of the, the people in the boat remained the same. Nobody changed. It was only the leaders. And so it was, it was a pretty poignant example about that ownership the original captain of that that poor performing boat accepted no responsibility and was all about trying to shove the blame off onto the other boat crew members. And of course, that provided a lot of infighting, or that was the fodder for a lot of infighting. And so if the leader's not taking responsibility, then the men certainly weren't taking responsibility. There's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of arguing, a lot of bickering. But when they had that new leader step into that boat that poor performing boat, all of that stopped. And so it really just underscored that point, the fact that there is no bad teams, only bad leaders, and it really kind of supports it, reaches back to that extreme ownership. So when you're in that position, what are you doing to have to create that positive environment, to create that winning environment, and to achieve that goal? And if you're not achieving that goal, the temptation is certainly to blame others, or to blame circumstances, or luck, but the true winner, the true leader, takes that full responsibility, doubles down and says, what am I doing wrong, what could I do better? And that was one of the things that has uh, been so beneficial as I've navigated different situations, whether it be interdepartmental conflict, or have overcome different hurdles with projects. So I just wanted to leave you with that. Still a lot more to come.
0: you achieve professional goals and objectives with tried and true approaches in the workplace. This is The Success Doctor on Radio 111. Now, here's Dr. Stone James. So are you listening to The Success Doctor on
1: Radio 111? I'm glad you're back. So really the previous discussions about the extreme ownership, really owning the uh, Situation that you're in and also recognizing that it's not about meet people where they are and there might be some challenges within your team but really that's not the place to focus the attention the place to focus the intention on is how do you become a better leader how do you really accept full responsibility for it so I thought that those two uh, those those two concepts that were advanced by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin in the book Extreme Ownership, really underscored uh, my friend's discussion uh, about that character, integrity, accountability, and responsibility. Really, I thought those addressed the accountability and the responsibility. And so then, when I started thinking about his comments about the character and the integrity, it made me think back to. Uh, a scenario that I had in a work environment where the person that I was working with was not acting with integrity. And what was interesting was just how profound an impact it had on our relationship and on my thinking. And so I had the opportunity to contrast that individual's behavior who I believed had demonstrated a lack of integrity and a lack of character with other people whom I did trust, and obviously that trust was slow to build, and that trust was, you know, the the consistency in their actions, right? So it's not only the consistency in the actions, but the integrity and the honesty in the smallest of details. And what was interesting was, from a leadership standpoint, from a self-operation standpoint, it was surprising to me just how harmful that lack of trust and my perception of that person's kind of maybe lack of integrity or kind of the, the malice that they had in a certain situation, how much that disrupted and eroded the relationship and really diminished the effectiveness of our ability to work together and so when we take a look at the word uh, character and we look it up in a dictionary, uh, we find that it's defined in this context as the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. And so what is that character? We talk about integrity. Integrity is a little bit different and that is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles moral uprightness and so that's been something that has been interesting that's been a big priority for me over the years is to really consistently act with integrity and consistently embody a, a strong character that's not something that I strive to do which is to, to say that I don't have issues with it but it's something that I just think is so important. And so I've also watched personally how that's positively impacted the work in relationships. Someone may not necessarily agree with me. Some people may not like me. But at least they know that I act with integrity and that that I I have good character. And It's, it's interesting to see the positive momentum that has built since that has been um, something that has been important, that's been a, a core quality, something that I look to develop. One of the things, too, that I've noticed is it's not, it's not just a one-time thing. It's not a destination. You don't walk down a couple of paths, take a couple of steps, and then all of a sudden you're some morally uprighteous person with a high character and high integrity but i think actually that is it's earned on a daily basis and it's earned both on the big decisions but it's also earned on the small decisions and and as you if you really think about there could be dozens if not hundreds of small decisions that you run across kind of just during a normal day or normal week or normal month and so are you acting with integrity on on the big things and on the little things. Are you treating everyone with respect? And so it's just it's just interesting that this gentleman, this Harvard graduate today over lunch, was just talking about after now that I think about it, I think he has had forty years in the workforce on how that has become such a such a guiding light for him. And there have been times in his career he shared with me that he didn't he didn't always stand up for what he thought was right, and he may have looked the other way, maybe because he felt like he was too junior, he didn't have a place, uh, but how if there were some decisions that he had made that he wished that he had called upon that stronger voice to stand up for what he thought was right. So it was pretty interesting, those four things that he had talked about today, and how I've seen that in action within my own life and within my professional, either civic or professional circles. There's more to come on The Success Doctor.
0: The doctor is in. Putting your best foot forward on the job with Dr. Stone James on The Success Doctor. From Radio 111, here's Stone. So have you ever had a situation where ego
1: has gotten in the way of a relationship or in the way of uh, solving a problem at work or in the home life? And I would imagine that if you're Oh, probably beyond the age of two years old. This, is, this, has, been, this has been an issue. And it's, it's been a reoccurring issue. And it's something that we see just so often. And so it's interesting, I've, I've got a friend, uh, Michael Park, lives out in Las Vegas. I had gone through the uh, master's program with him at USC. Uh, exceptionally bright person, uh, great personality, really good guy, uh, just a former attorney. He calls himself a recovering attorney. And uh, a lot of fun. And so he always had a a fun way of characterizing things. But Mike and I would often have conversations about, about ego and the destructive role, both the critical role, right? Having been able to have the ability to establish healthy boundaries and be able to stand up for yourself in certain situations and, you know, in previous conversations we've had, you identify your North Star and you stick to it, right? And so, in that context, the ego is critical for a healthy life. But I'd be curious to hear how many situations that you've seen someone's ego get out of control and really cost them dearly, whether it be cost them a friendship. Cost them a job, uh, cost them a marriage, and so over the years, I've been thinking more and more about the about ego, and really breaking it down, and taking a look at situations almost from kind of an ideal world in a detached third party manner, third person, as if you were kind of floating over the situation, observing it really understand what those ego issues are at play and then how do you respect those how do you deal with those how do you well to use uh, to use the words of uh, Jacko Willink uh, how do you check the ego at the door and so that's something that I think that any seasoned professional or aspiring professional or even someone who's a student regardless of age should be mindful of and uh, considerate of. I've had situations where people have taken a position, not because it's the right position to take, they may have become arguing for something, they may not even believe in it, but once they got their ego involved, they they had entrenched themselves on that position. And so it was uh, a friend of mine was a, a deputy sheriff uh, for, well, his whole career. And one of the things he said to me early on, he said that the young deputies will fight their way to jail. So if they have to arrest someone, they may do it in a confrontational manner or they may do it in a, in a manner that um, maybe provokes or doesn't quiet the ego of the person that they need to take to jail. And yet the older deputies they'll talk their way to jail and that was something that I really took to heart and thought deeply about and So when in in that scenario, you know How are you respecting that person's ego if you need to contact the person and let's say there's family there? You know if you're a wise person if you're a considerate person you're gonna pull them aside out beyond the earshot of the family and talk to them in a respectful manner, and really help them save face, uh, and talk about what the consequences of a certain situation, or you know maybe what needs to happen, or what's not going to happen in a certain scenario. And so similarly, I see the work, you know, the the work life, and also the professional life, often uh, kind of having the, the same scenario. It is when that you you withhold that rapid judgment when you check your own ego at the door and you listen to what that person has to say. Uh, and so and then how do you remove the ego from your position so you really can understand where they're coming from? And can you speak to either a, a a stated or a non-stated emotional need? And so ultimately, how do you decouple the solving the problem? In fact, that's something that I spend some time on, and I'd love if you had any thoughts uh, you could send me uh, tweets at drstonejames. Uh, so just at drstonejames about times that you have seen ego play an important role or play a devastating role in a scenario. But when I look to constructively solve a problem, there was a uh, there was an author wrote a famous book. Oh, probably 25, 30 years ago. It's called Getting to Yes. And one of the things that they talked about was, how do you be hard on the problem and soft on the person? And, you know, even though I read that 20 years ago, I carry that with me every day. And, in fact, just last week, we had a scenario between two competent professionals. There was a misunderstanding. There were some things that were said that were that came across maybe a little bit harsher than had been intended. And then they were received uh, a little bit more hurtful than they had been intended. And so you had kind of these, these two positions. And so it was interesting, I know both people, I like and respect both people. They're both uh, intelligent, uh, good-hearted, uh, well-intentioned individuals. And so it was interesting, how does one bring those two people together so that they can get those feelings off of their chest, so they can feel heard, uh, communicate those concerns, hopefully mend the bridge and move on. And that was one of the things that I came up with was, hey folks, let's both be, let's really focus be here on hard on the issue and soft on the people. And it it worked out, thankfully these are, you know, these are intelligent mature people like I had said, but they were able to do just that. They were able to be respectful of one another. They were able to kind of, you know, respect those ego boundaries and address the behaviors and not dive into any personal attacks. So I was really impressed with just the the professionalism that they had demonstrated in overcoming this issue. But it just it underscored again the importance of ego and how if you want to solve a problem, then how do you pull ego out of the situation and not offend them, not trample on the ego, not put them down, so that you're able to truly focus on the problem, solving the problem? Similarly, I've seen situations where they come; someone may lead with a personal attack. And in my experience, I've found when you are not sensitive to to leaving that, respecting that person's ego, to leaving that person's ego intact, your ability to problem solve is blown. And so if if you go and you say something or you do something that is perceived as an attack on the ego, it doesn't matter whether you were right to begin with. If that person, generally speaking, if that person feels like now their ego has been called into play, they will stop at nothing to fight that battle, not in defense of the rightness or wrongness of the problem or the situation at hand, but they will fight to the end, the bitter end, to protect their ego. And so, and and, and we've talked about the ego, the definition says that this is a a person's self-esteem or self-importance. And that's one thing that has been unique is as I've gone through the travels and have met more people. It kind of really, they say, walk a mile in someone else's shoes, and it's very easy to say. I think sometimes it's really hard to do that, and I think it's also really hard to appreciate that there could be some some devastating circumstances that someone could be dealing with. I have a a dear personal friend who happens to be a professor, and he has been a professor for probably certainly more than 15 years. I actually hope to have him on this show very soon. He's a really good guy. And he had a scenario just last semester where a student had signed up for class and he started missing assignments and started missing tests and turned in some really bad work. And it was interesting the the thoughtfulness that my friend approached the student so certainly you could take the standpoint of oh this kid's just blowing it off he's not taking this seriously or you could really take the time and you can you can try to understand what this person's gone through come to find out he had had covid his dad had covid his mom had covid his sister had covid and i want to say his brother had covid And then during the course of that, at 24 years old, he lost his mom to COVID. He was 24 years old and he lost his mother. And so my friend, although my friend's behavior uh, was not a surprise at all because he is a high integrity, he is an incredibly high character person, but he, he reserved judgment, he checked the own bitterness or the own frustration he may have had about having a student completely blow him off. And he decided to dive in on the core issue to really understand first. And he walked away with such a profound understanding. There was there was a there was a book that I read probably twenty five years ago with Stephen Covey that that has stayed with me. And it was about understanding the perspective of the other before you have that knee-jerk response. And the story that uh, Stephen Covey had shared was, it was a quiet Sunday morning. This gentleman was on a subway. I wanna say it was in Washington, D.C. It was a very peaceful morning. It's like 8, 8.30 in the morning. And there were very few people on the, within the actual uh, subway, within the actual subway car. And this gentleman boards, he's got three kids, And he sits down across from uh, this this writer and the three kids are, are horribly behaved and they're running and they're jumping and they're climbing on seats and they're making noise and it was very disruptive. And this gentleman became more and more annoyed at the fact that this man was not paying attention at all and was doing nothing to stop the disruptive behavior of these three kids. And so finally he'd had enough and he said, sir, would you please tell your children to quiet down? And this guy kind of looked up, he kind of shaked a daze off and he said, oh my gosh, you're right, I'm so sorry. We just came back from the hospital where their mother, my wife died. I'm so sorry I wasn't paying attention. And so that writer, you imagine his feeling It immediately shifted from displeasure or anger at these three kids to a compassion of oh my god i'm so sorry what can i do so that that story still moves me and still something that stays with me and when i take a look at that situation i may find something grating what is that person going through did they just lose their mother 24 years old did they just lose their spouse what went into that person's day.
0: is The Success Doctor on Radio 111, helping students and professionals at all stages along the journey to success. Now, here's Dr. Stone James. So I had a a, a
1: situation, an experience that was quite remarkable. And uh, there was an individual, uh, this was probably uh, 10 years ago, there was an individual that I had seen in a public setting, seen in different, uh, just d- in different settings, that really had a lot of negative energy and could be very vitriolic, just had a lot of very harsh things to say, would look at things in a very extreme manner. And it was really off-putting, quite candidly. And it was something that I, it was just remarkable. Like it was just fierce, some of the positions that this individual took on certain topics. And uh, you know, I'm kind of of the mindset that life gives you enough problems. You don't need to go make mountains out of molehills, or you don't need to take extreme positions on topics. It's kind of like what we've talked about earlier. You know, there's, there's different angles to view problems. And while it's easy to rush to judgment, or it's easy to say a, a broad sweeping, you know, take a, a broad comment or a sweeping statement. Really, I think that as, as someone becomes more intellectually disciplined, well, yes, it feels good to say something polarizing, I think it takes extra effort to really take, take a look at a, a topic and break it down and then understand it from the different points of view. And, and, and view things, I suppose, what I'm trying to get at is, is less black and white and understand more of the variability. And so I, I was just I've still reflected back on this experience because here on this one hand I had this person who was just so vitriolic and was not someone that I wanted to spend time with or work with. But then an opportunity came to pass where I ended up working together with this person and I saw a completely different side of this individual. And it was dumbfounding. And I saw a side of this individual that was passionate and committed and extremely hardworking and diligent. And thankfully, I was able to, to put any of my previous observations or judgments aside and I was able to focus on the good of this person. And as a result of focusing on that good and really looking beyond that ini- initial knee-jerk reaction that I had, the partnership between myself and this individual ended up producing profound and lasting positive results, and I still talk to this person to this day, and so I that came up when I was thinking about some of the things that, that you and I could discuss today, and that was one of the things that I still marvel at that relationship, the fact that that relationship was able to flourish despite such... An initial strong knee-jerk reaction to absolutely avoid this and this had happened in other times where there had been some other individuals whom I felt had come across very arrogant and uh, I find arrogance very off-putting I just I think it's just uh, it's it's just bad form right and so there's someone who's generally always going to be better faster smarter wealthier and I, I think when you walk around with your cup full when it's when it's full i guess in this case full of yourself right when it's full no one else can pour some of their knowledge or some of their wisdom or some of their love into your cup if your cup is already full so i think it's kind of an art how do you walk around with enough room in your cup so that when you meet interesting people they can add to your cup and that's something that I think is probably develops over a lifetime that balance between having that confidence, that inner belief that you will succeed, that you will ultimately be successful, but then still having that humble approach and know that virtually everyone that you bump into is in some way your superior or is in some way they have something that you can learn from that can help you be a better person. And so that's something that has been really well, it it goes back to that character and that integrity and that it's not a destination, it's a journey. And so similarly, I think it's the same thing where it's a balance. And so how do you have that that healthy enough self-esteem but not cross over to the point that you've got an off-putting ego that is gonna close doors that either were currently open or closed future doors that might have been open for you. So I've appreciated our discussions, and I look forward to seeing you talking to you at the next Success Doctor, Radio 111.